Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet, a betting site with a difference. Not only are we offering the best available odds on a United win, we've also got exclusive special bets created by Reds. And as we share half our net profits with the United supporters community, no matter what, the fans can always end up winning. Check out our website, redarmybet.com, or download the app, Red Army Bet. About fans, by fans, for fans. Welcome to the Late Night We Stand podcast. I'm Andy Mitten and I'm in central London heading towards Wembley Stadium for Tottenham Hotspur against Manchester United. It's the 50th time that United have played at Wembley in all competitions. So that's cup finals, semi-finals, charity shields, European cup finals, won one, lost one. And now tonight for a league game against Tottenham so if I'm not mistaken United have played at Wembley even more times than Tottenham who've used the ground as uh, a temporary home like they are doing at the moment and I also wrote on Monday that this could be the biggest ever crowd between two English teams for a league game so let's see if uh, if that transpires they had 80,000 against Liverpool earlier on this season the record is 83,000, although a couple of the figures are disputed. But there's been a few crowds of 82, 83,000, but they were back in their 30s and 40s. Anyway, we're not doing a podcast talking about crowds. I'm with James Scowcroft. Uh, James has been a contributor to United We Stand for a good while. He's a former top-flight footballer, striker with Leicester City, with Crystal Palace. And he's a Manchester United fan as well. He's never heard the fact that he supports United. Uh, James, how are you feeling about United at the moment it's been a really good January hasn't it five straight wins no goals conceded the signing of Alexis Sanchez a player I know you've watched quite a lot even before he joined United yeah recently it's been very positive Andy uh, you have to say before Christmas it was negative but they've they've come back into it United look good at the moment tonight's the acid test really isn't it Tottenham away uh, you know credit to Tottenham in the last two seasons they've the best Tottenham side I've, I've ever seen in my lifetime um, so tonight is a real real test for to, to see where United is really but I think Sanchez um, is a game changer for United I think if you listen to Mourinho Mourinho makes a fantastic point that his decision making in the final third is something that United have, um, have missed out in the last couple of years and I agree with him and I think he'll he'll add to that I got a text from a coach during the game against Yeovil last Friday night and it said Sanchez reminds me of the Ron when he first came to United when he had a few brilliant games he's just miles better than everyone else around him I agree with that uh, I did some work for the BBC probably two or three years ago and I had to cover Arsenal for um, against one of my old teams uh, in uh, in the FA Cup uh, and I've th- Sanchez's individual performance on that day was just he, he was like a kid in the in the playground that was just far far better than anything else. You, know, you, you probably won't know what that like what that's like, mate. But he was uh, he just stood out. I'm still playing age 44, mate. 11 aside, it's not that bad. <laughs> only got 10 people signed <laughs> you up. <laughs> he is that good, and I just really really hope he continues that form for United because if he does, I think he'll kick United on. What's his best position? I don't think he has one and I think it would be unfair to sort of say he must play here I think he's he's that good a footballer he could play in three or four positions and not do well he could even play right back and just push on and get forward I don't I don't think that's an issue I watched him a lot at Barcelona far more than I've watched him at, at Arsenal and he was good there but he was never great he was never great enough to play for Barcelona there were moments he scored a wonderful chip against Real Madrid in a Clasico at Camp Nou but 
Barca fans were a bit nonplussed when he when he left. They used the money, put it towards uh, Luis Suarez, who's been much more effective. And I always remember a quote by Carlos Rechach, the the guy who'd signed Lionel Messi and a Barca legend, saying that he wasn't decisive enough in front of goal. His decision making in front of goal just wasn't at the Barcelona level. He was 23-24 when he was at Barcelona. Maybe that comes with age. You've been a professional. Do you improve with age? You, you, 27 seems to be the optimum age. You've been there. Well, decision-making, it, it, you're spot-on. Decision-making improves, but it'll only improve when you get to 28, 29 is when you really start to hit your peak. So that's something that only comes by playing games. And you can see his, his four or five years he's had at Arsenal, that that has improved and improved and improved in, in the best league in the world. So he's got that now. So what, what's, the what best, he, what's the best league in the world? The Premier League is. It's the hardest league in the world. Because of the strength of the competition throughout. Yeah. yeah. But the best teams in the world don't play in it. That could be debatable in four months' time, could it not? Well, let's debate it now and look back over the last ten years. Spanish teams have completely wiped the floor with Premier League teams. But is that down to simply that they're better or maybe their domestic season is a little bit more, is a lot more easier, a lot more gentle on the... Uh, so they can um, they can put a lot more effort into the Champions League, a lot more focus? I think, yeah, I think you've got a good point. I think the, the winter helps. And when we spoke to Jose Mourinho for United We Stand... He said that when you're playing Jaganes at home, you know you're going to win quite easily. It's probably the worst example I could have given because they beat Real Madrid last week in, in the cup. But um, it, it's true, there are certain games where Barcelona and Real Madrid are, are never going to lose them. Or certain games. I always remember interviewing Xavi Hernandez and he made the point that you get to 60 minutes, you know the game's over. And in England, it's very, very different. And you've played lots of top flight football matches Manchester United this season have conceded four or five goals in 89 plus minutes so I definitely get the element of the competition here the intensity the number of games over the Christmas period the demands from the crowds, the flying tackles I think they all contribute but when they come head to head Spanish teams tend, tend to win I sense also that it's changing I do think Manchester United will overcome Sevilla but I also think that Spain has produced some wonderful footballers and some brilliant teams. And even Sevilla, they've won four Europa Leagues in the last decade. Spain are ranked, the Spanish league is ranked the number one league in the world for a reason. And they'd argue it's a lot stronger than I was. We're getting slightly distracted here. We've spoken about Sanchez. How do you think him coming into the team will affect the players around him? What will he do to Lukaku's game? You've been a big centre forward. What will Martial be thinking? Mkhitaryan's obviously moving on. What will Marcus Rashford be thinking? Is it just a plus all round? The type of impact that when Robin Van Persie arrived, he really lifted the dressing room? Listen, it'll only be positive. Um, and I'd, I actually know a, um, a friend of mine is Paul, Pub, Paul Pubba's cousin who uh, I actually bumped into yesterday and I'd, I'd always chat about his cousin, how's he getting on? And he said he's... Uh, He's enthralled that Sanchez has signed. Um, what it will mean to other players, I think it'll be a big plus for Lukaku, who I think has been excellent this season. I don't think he's got anywhere near the credit he's deserved for his performances this season. He's been criticised, but I think he's he's changed the dynamics of Manchester United for, for, for the better. Um, and I just think it will help the Martials, the Rashfords. I'm a huge Martial fan. I think the lad has got everything and could be anything he wants to be. 
um, but maybe occasionally he's, he needs to be kept on his toes a little bit more um, and it will just push people on you know you, you'll have to be at your very very best when there's when there's competition of that standard you're talking about Lukaku a lot of the criticism came when the goals dried up is that people who are not looking at his overall contribution because he's set some brilliant goals up hasn't he Andy I went to Watford away I watched a game at uh, Watford away, which wasn't too long ago, Andy. Ashley Young scored scored two goals. And he's in United end. And he got a lot of stick that night. And there's a lad next to me I didn't know. Um, and he missed a really good chance. where he took, he took a touch too many. And he probably did lose his confidence a little bit. But the way he stretched Watford that night, the way he's running off the ball, the way he... He, he carried two defenders, you know, you just can't allow him to be on his own. Um, and he was very unlucky not to score, actually. And a few people were singing Ibrahimovic songs. And a lad next to me said, that's going to do the lad a lot of good, isn't it? And, I, and it, was, it was a real split and divide. And I just thought, I really hope you come through this bit because I, I really do think that he's been excellent for United this year. And he has scored goals. If you look at his goal-scoring record, it has been OK. But his contribution, apart from his goals, I think has been excellent. Um, and I think mentally he's got every centre forward will go for a, um, a bit where they don't score goals and I think he's come through that and I think he's uh, you can see mentally he's strong as well we're just passing Lord's uh, cricket ground on the way up to Wembley so at, at dusk it's, traffic's as heavy as you can imagine London uh, would be um, with Lukaku there was a, a cliche almost at the start that he was a fast track bully that he scored against the um, the lesser teams every striker goes through times where their, their goals dry up what's it like you've been there as a Premier League striker with pressure on you from fans and sometimes it's no matter how hard you try it's just not going to happen for you is it there's so many variables how, how do you get out of that well you have to mentally be strong because it's it's a position where you're either going to be the hero or you're going to be the villain um, and you, you have to come through that you have to Try and not get too high and try and not get too low. Uh, you know, he he will is a kind of player that will will go through there. And people say, oh, he doesn't score against a big team. Look, tonight at Wembley he might get one chance. Huddersfield at the weekend he might get four or five chances. So it's law of averages. You're going to yeah. score and you're going to get more chances against the, the lesser teams, really. Um, but I I think, especially now with Sanchez, I, I think we're going to play Sanchez in one position, maybe just behind him, because I think Sanchez has got a wonderful. Um, Wait a pass, a wonderful vision for for an eye of the pass, and I think what Sanchez and I saw him play at Crystal Palace recently for Arsenal. What he'll also do is he'll get beyond Lukaku as well, and that that will make the back four, back three, whoever's playing against United, drop off even more and give Lukaku space. Where does Jesse Lingard fit into all this? I know he's not been his best the last couple of games, but he's had a really really good run, hasn't he? From from that Watford game you mentioned, um, right the way through, scoring, scoring spectacular goals. He's been fantastic, and I think he'll continue to be fantastic. Um, look, you, you've got to be careful that you don't overthink it and people come in. If, if you're good enough and you're fit, fit in, you will get minutes and you'll score goals and you'll, you'll play football. It, it just Football just happens like that. There's enough games. Hopefully United will be in the FA Cup. They'll be in the, the latter stages of the Champions League. Players like Jesse Lingard, Rashford, Martial, they will get their chances, and you have to take it. What about the defence? Um, I still think it's a little bit of a weak spot. Um, not quite sure if you ask fans, maybe the manager, coaching staff, if that to say our best back four is, you know, could everybody come up and roll it off the tip of the tongue? I'm, I'm not quite sure. And, you know, United now have two full backs that 
were the winners that were the, the wingers in the team when they last won the league really so it's it's in Ashley Young and, and Valencia I know Luke Shaw's come in so look it's an area where I think maybe it's the, it's the next place where um, Mourinho needs to um, to have a look at I look at City and I look at the comparison I just think City at the moment are probably 12 months ahead of United in planning and in Mourinho you know, people rave about Pep, but what he has done is he's improved the back, he's brought defenders, and he's he's made his team stable. And I think now with the attacking prowess United have got, surely the back four has got to be the next on the on the list to improve. Shaw looked doomed two or three months ago, and I think he, he knew how his manager felt about him, but not for the first time. He's he seems to be proving his manager wrong and doing all right. You think he's got? Do you think he's got it? I think he's always had the talent. There's just other question marks about him, although he has been very unfortunate with injuries. Yeah, you, you can't. You know, the injury he had is is. He had more than one. Yeah, and and the psychological impact of his injury is on a young lad. Yeah, you can't underestimate that. Maybe his focus hasn't been there, and maybe he hasn't had the mental strength to get through it. But what it will do, it'll improve him. It'll improve his um, his attitude and his determination now. And I think. I see it with a few people and occasionally I don't like Mourinho the way he digs out his players in, in the press but maybe it's just a little challenge to sort of you know come through it Martial's come through it and looks like Luke Shaw's come through it now You're a United fan how many times did you play against United and what was it like? It was the biggest highlight of my career um, you know my career wasn't full of medals and, and glory and everything but quite a good career sort of over 600 appearances um, but playing at Old Trafford was the I played for my country uh, played for some excellent football clubs um, but my first ever game at Old Trafford was a highlight of my career Why? Um, just probably from a personal point of view um, I can remember going to um, as a fan as I, as I was playing at the time I went to watch United Liverpool in the FA Cup on the treble winning season when um, United scored two late goals and it was very good and I had a young son at the time and I was in Manchester for the weekend and I did the tour this, you, you might laugh at this I did the tour the following day and they had the tunnel to walk down and they had the red and part of the tour was done it and I thought no, I'm not going to do this. I'm only going to walk down this tunnel when I play. So I did half the tour, but I didn't walk down the tunnel. And two years later, I walked down the tunnel. And what was it like in that tunnel? I spoke to lads who played against the teams that you played for, and they said that we knew we'd won the game before the game had started. Is that fair? Um, United, listen, United won the game. It had nothing to do with what was in the tunnel. They won the games. They're good players. Yeah. So don't don't buy into any of that. It's. United's tunnel was only sort of up there really with Wembley's. It's a huge tunnel. And back in the day, I don't like the, the modern day where you sort of walk out. It's a bit like a funeral march really where you walk up to the half and then you shake hands. Back when I played, it was you ran out. And it was fantastic being in the wayside because you literally had to run the whole length of Old Trafford and, and clap your um, clap your supporters really. So that that moment was, was something that lives with me. It's a big pitch, isn't it? Or is it not? Carragher always said it's so difficult to play at because it was a big pitch it was merciless but maybe he's only comparing it to Anfield does a Premier Law a Premier League not have a law where every single pitch has to be the same dynamics maybe it does now but I think no, Anfield I, I, and, and Goodison Port, Port Vale was the biggest pitch I played on was it well yeah. when, they, when they built Port Vale's ground up in the 50s they called it the Wembley of the North if you see the plans for Vale Park and you're into stadiums like I am so <laughs> Can't be and Anorak. I'll tell you the one thing you notice. 50,000. Yeah, the one one thing you notice, and and when I played at Grounds, I didn't realise that Anfield had a slope on the pitch. 
Park. I didn't realise the, the, the slope that was at St James's Park at Newcastle was, you know, when you when you come out at half Yeah, you can you see it at Newcastle. It's huge. But Anfield has a slope as well, which I, I remember my first my first outing to, to Anfield, I walked out on the pitch at half one, I thought, wow, it's got a slope to the pitch. And maybe there is a a uniformity and I'm sure people will tweet in straight away about this but if the stadium's already built and the pitch is too small there's not that much you can do about it well you're not going to change the dynamics are you before, <laughs> before but no it's not something I yeah. there was a few pitches and a few clubs that you'd go to um, what, I, what I remember about the old Trafford pitch was it had a had a drop um, oh into, into the World War Trench yeah, World War One Trench yeah, at the side so but I never sort of had it down for being uh, any okay. bigger than any other pitch. We're getting a little bit closer to Wembley. We've still probably Do you know got where we are? half an hour. No. It's Kilburn High Road. Kilburn. Oh, okay. So Kilburn is a place that is very popular with Manchester United fans before Wembley appearances. Maybe not tonight when there's only 3,000. Probably the smallest ever United following at Wembley. And Kilburn, what do we know about Kilburn? Big big Irish population in the 60s and 70s, yeah? Huge Irish population. I think there's, I've actually been here myself, there's a Bronsbury Arms by the tube station here, which is usually a big United uh, pub. I was here on um, FA Cup final day. And the signs are saying Willsden, Neasden and Cricklewood. These are all places I would associate with uh, days out at Wembley. Prediction for the for the game, Tottenham against United. I think it's a really hard one to predict because... We've been dreadful the last couple of years, although last season was at the tail end of the season. Uh, I, I think that Jose Mourinho knew the team were not going to win. The focus was on Stockholm. Um, but the season before, we were battered. I think it was 3-0. Go on, what are you thinking? Uh, I think it's a very difficult game, but I think United will win. I do, yeah. and I think Sanchez will score. Oh. I hope you're right. I'll go for one all. I hope I'm wrong. Go on. 2-1. To Manchester United. Just walking down Wembley Way after the match. There's a man scraping horse shit off the floor with an orange shovel. The last few fans of this huge crowd, nearly 82,000. It's the biggest crowd to watch an English league game for 70 or 80 years. Are leaving and walking towards Wembley Park Station. I'm staying in London tonight and pissed off because once again Manchester United have been thoroughly outclassed at Tottenham away. I don't think I've seen United win at Tottenham since 2012. I might be wrong now, but six, five or six years ago. Seems to be a theme which is continuing. And as James and I spoke before the game, there was there was more optimism, and that evaporated pretty quickly when Tottenham went ahead after 10 seconds United had a decent spell for, for 10 minutes and then went behind 2-0 and as Jose Marino just said in the press conference when you've got a team of Tottenham's quality with a 2-0 lead they can play the game to how they want and they can counter-attack effectively and they were dominant Tottenham United were poor in defence Phil Jones's own goal was un- unfortunate. Feel you know, I wrote about him last week, really praising him, saying about the number of uh, games that he's played in where United have kept a clean sheet and he's racking up all these games. And then that happens. Really disappointing that for Paul Pogba, who was rightly brought off. I mean, it happens. Footballers have bad games. 
just happens. Tonight was a bad night. United lost 2-0. And they happen. Every team in the world loses matches. And United got worse rather than better. Didi and me, just before half-time, thought we can do a repeat of this Tottenham game from 2001 where we came from behind to win 5-3. But nah, that was just wishful thinking. And the United end was starting to empty well before the final whistle when the players were applauding at the end it was almost empty just over 3,000 fans there many on the way back home well well before the end so it's a fourth league defeat they've all been really grim uh, I think the mood among all United fans after each of them is pretty similar um, I don't think there's a, any need for an overreaction and I think we're talking at the end of a month where United previously won all five matches, not conceded a goal. Granted, Yeovil Town are not Tottenham Hotspur and Nora Derby County, but there were plenty of positives. Um, I watched Sanchez closely tonight, and as Jose Mourinho said, it just wasn't the game for him. He worked hard, it just wasn't happening for him. And it's just one of them, and it's City are however many points in front now, but as if. I don't think anyone expected to win the league going back two or three months, even before the Manchester derby. Um, I think most United fans were, were realistic. And I think most feel that the, the team continues to improve, uh, albeit with setbacks. Sanchez, I think, will be a very good signing because he's a very good player. Cindy Lauper, girls just want to have fun. He's playing. As I get the last tube across London before heading back up to Manchester for the game against Huddersfield uh, tomorrow are there any bright points? I thought Martial did well in the first half that's about it <laughs> but, but the, the side was really uh, strong attack inside but United in the middle were completely outclassed by by Tottenham, Dembélé was fantastic Christian Eriksen was, was fantastic Tottenham are a good team, Pochettino is a good manager, we know all that but you just hope as the seasons go on that United are getting closer to Tottenham and they are because they're above Tottenham in the league and the, teams, the two teams are probably at a similar level, it was a far more entertaining game than the match at Old Trafford in October, United keep winning 1-0 at Old Trafford just going under that um, the tunnel where you get into Wembley Park this was the 50th United performance at Wembley I think only Arsenal have made more one more or even they're, they're on 50 as well but it's probably the smallest United following um, Tottenham fans around me are singing they're obviously very happy I don't blame them they've just beaten the team who were second in the league <laughs> pretty comprehensively one of the journalists asked Pochettino if, if 2-0 was a disservice to his side because they were much better than a 2-0 team, but that's such a sub subjective question. Um, I'm going to carry on with this podcast. Plan to speak to someone in the morning. And I'm just going to go home, get my head down. Well, I'm not going home, just getting my head down in London. Um, reflecting on a very disappointing defeat aren't they all for, for Manchester United it's the um, morning after 
Tottenham 2, Manchester United 0. I mean, East London. Stayed at a mate's of mine last night, Ian Hawke. He's a, a journalist who's been on the podcast several times. Very good journalist on European football. And has just had a big package delivered to his house, which is copies of his book on Alfredo Di Stefano, which, because he's modest and isn't on social media, he hasn't plugged at all. And it's absolutely brilliant. So I might talk to him about that. But I'll tell you another story. So I was going to stay at Ian's last night. So I flew from, from Spain to London and I bought him a nice bottle of uh, Rioja. And I don't know much about wine, but I asked the lady in the shop and she said, yeah, this is a good one. So I bought it, I put it in my bag and um, the shop was duty free at Barcelona Airport. And I got on the plane and I came through to Stansted and then I met Scoey, who you heard. And then I went to Tottenham. I worked as a journalist last night, I went in the media entrance, got my accreditation, I walked through and then my bag was searched and the gentleman with a fluorescent vest on said, you can't bring bottles in. I said, come on mate, it's just a bottle of wine. He said, you can't bring bottles in, ask Tottenham. So I asked Tottenham and he said, well we don't have a problem with it but we're not in charge. I said, but come on, I've bought this bottle of wine for, for a mate of mine, I'm staying at his house tonight. They said, with respect, it's a game of football. Um, so I said, well, is there anywhere I can put this bottle of wine? And the guy said, the, the Tottenham media man said, just try and find a bush outside. So I walked out of Wembley Stadium, past the hotel, the Hilton, where Manchester United was staying. And on the side of the road was a lot of bushes, which are sort of used as street decoration. They're not natural forest-like bushes. So I walked up and down thinking, where can I hide this bottle of wine? And I spotted one place and I pretended to tie my shoes and I, I, I slid the bottle of wine into the, the minimal undergrowth. And I thought, job well done here. Walked past it, but then I saw that from the other side of the street, it was completely exposed. You could see the wine clearly. So I had to go and retrieve it and move it to another semi-bush. So then I went into the ground, did my work, Came back out, walked to retrieve it, wasn't there. Not got a clue what has happened. Don't know if I've been seen on CCTV. I suspect that, um, I don't know, anything could have happened, doesn't it? Someone's enjoying a nice bottle of wine. So, sorry, Ian, I've got a nice receipt for a bottle of wine here, if that's of any use for you. What? Yeah, yeah, well, you didn't tell me the first time you told me the story that you'd actually put it just outside the entrance to the Manchester United Hotel. So I'm wondering if a couple of Manchester United central defenders might have picked it up before the game. We're not talking about that. So you, you saw the game. United's defence. I wrote a piece on Phil Jones last week praising him. I feel like I've cursed him now. Every time he's been playing, United have been keeping a clean sheet. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not the only person to have praised him this season and, and with some justification. That went to pot after 10 seconds yeah. last Ooh. night. I don't want to talk too much um, about the game. You're right, you've got a pile of books on... Alfredo Di Stefano here. When did this book come out? Alfredo Di Stefano. Okay. Sorry to Di Stefano. <laughs> right. Uh, it came out last year, but this is the Spanish edition, which has um, just come out this year, just translated into Spanish. And um, and obviously selling in, in Spain, which is where he is regarded as the greatest player of all time. Yeah. There's an argument there, but I won't get into it because I've done it too many times, that he's probably not acknowledged as one of the very greats and, and not because people have anything against him I think it's just to do with the age he played in the fact he wasn't on colour television you know there's no 
there's no great pictures like there are of Pele and Cruyff. Of it is him doing. subjective. Oh, yeah, completely subjective, yeah. But in terms of his achievements and his yeah. influence, and um, certainly Real Madrid wouldn't be what they are without him. Um, uh, anyway, and uh, it's also come out in Argentina, which is where, in a way, I've had more of the... Yeah, yeah. So as um, yeah, I've had some good feedback from Argentina, which is where he comes from. But then he became a Spanish citizen and played for Spain, and he sort of really turned his back a bit on Argentina and uh, left. He was a, he was a he was a, a contract rebel that even by today's standards would be admired by the best contract rebels. You know, he was a really fierce, right, unionized, yeah. knew his own value sort of bloke, um, and in fact, and probably left. Left a bit of a legacy for that, actually, for players' rights. Um, he probably had his own interests at heart most of the time, but but um, yeah, he was quite a he was quite a strident negotiator. Um, so he was the main man in the Real Madrid team that won the first five European Cups. Absolutely, he he defined them. Um, Real Madrid were really quite an ordinary, underachieving um, club before he arrived and. And then, yes, and then the European Cup arrived a year later and they took to that and he took to that. And I want to ask you about the Manchester United in the book because it is the United We Stand podcast, but you, you said he was a, a pay rebel and he went to Colombia, didn't he, in 1949 when the Colombian FA had broken away from FIFA. And my uncle Charlie also went to Colombia that year. And, that, and they really hit it off, yeah. They... Um, they it was it was it was an amazing institution that Columbia League because as you say it was completely the Colombian FA just rebelled cut themselves off which meant that they didn't have to pay transfer fees you know because they they weren't they weren't in the FIFA family as it's known now um, so the best players in the world several of the best players in the world from all over the world went and played in this this thing in Colombia which I suppose the nearest equivalent would be something like the Kerry Packer Cricket League in the seventies. You know, uh, cut, cutting themselves off, defying the authorities, but but getting the best and and, and making this amazing spectacle. And in fact, uh, Charlie Mitten was one of a small handful of English players who went there, and like most of the players, jeopardised their futures because they they had rebelled. So they're in this sort of contractual limbo. They were banned, so they had to serve FIFA bans afterwards. And certainly in terms of national team futures, they were really frowned on. Um, the English, uh, predictably, were particularly pompous about people who rebelled against them. Even though Samat's first words when Charlie told him he was leaving Manchester United were, did he need a manager as well? But Charlie's wage went from £10 a week to £100 a week. He lasted a year there. Um, his wife got homesick, she came back to Manchester. Uh, I spoke to his son recently and he, he told me about waiting on the, the, the quayside in Southampton for the boat to, to come back with, with Charlie on it, about being in Stretford when he, he finally came back and all the media were around the house for two or three days. Charlie told me a story and I don't know whether this is true because I think people tend to embellish. Clearly Charlie was a great, a great footballer. And he went there as a star and he was a winger and he was a success as far as I know in, in Colombia. And he said that he was visited by a young Madrileño lawyer called Santiago Bernabeu while he was there. 
And Bernabeu said that he was building up this club Real Madrid with public subscriptions and he wanted to sign players Hector Real, uh, Charlie and Di Stefano. And I don't know. I mean, as a journalist, my job is to get to the, to the truth. I don't know whether Bernabeu came with a list of 20 players. I don't even know if it was true. Charlie told me the figures he was offered by Real Madrid. But his wife was homesick and went back to Manchester. And Charlie always regretted that. I just don't know whether it's the truth or not. Because it's a great story. You know, you're turning down Real Madrid. And was he a Real Madrid class player? It's impossible to say. He was, he was a great winger of his day. But Yeah, no, and I think... And, and um, it's certainly... It's on record that uh, Di Stefano rated him, okay. and and also and particularly liked him as a crosser. Yeah, um, uh, which was you know Di Stefano was good at. Stefano was was very good at most things actually, but he yeah. was also good at getting on the end of crosses. And he he very soon once he was in the Real Madrid fold, which which took a while and is a long complicated saga with Barcelona and Madrid fighting over him. He went back to some of his Colombian mates and was very involved in hiring them from Madrid, particularly with um, Hector Real, actually, who was also his compatriot. The one thing about that whole scene in Colombia was that the Argentinian clique, a lot of players went from Argentina to Colombia. Uh, they were very much a gang and they ran the show. In fact, um, uh, your... Your uncle Charlie, um, he wrote, he co-wrote a, a book a few years ago. Yeah. It's a fascinating book, and he yeah. um, he certainly observed that the Argentinians had their little power base, and he certainly didn't resent it. But some of the English players did actually. Neil Franklin, Neil Franklin, Franklin for City instance, yeah, was yeah, one of the yeah. Ones. And he, he was quite um, was quite dismissive of of the Argentinian. I don't know, what do you call them? Yeah, the Argentinian power brokers and the whole thing. Well, they were a regional power, weren't they? They yes. probably thought yeah. that extended to, to footballers yeah. as well. Manchester United are in the book on Di Stefano because Real Madrid played Manchester United several times in competitive games, in friendly games. Yeah. Real Madrid were excellent with United after the Munich air crash. They, yes. waived, they waived their usual match fees and... How important were those games from Real Madrid's perspective? Were they were United just another team who they n knocked out? Oh no, absolutely not. Because um, United were celebrated, obviously from Busby Babes, and it was um, they were they were seen as a really significant challenge to Madrid, and they were um, they were also you know they were they were also seen as physically. Pretty imposing. United. Yes. Because years later, Brian Hughes, and congratulations, Brian, he's just had a street named after him in Manchester. He's done a lot of work for the people of North Manchester, and he was a boxing promoter. He's a great guy, Brian. He wrote a book on Tommy Taylor, and he wrote a letter to Real Madrid, to Di Stefano, mm, saying, yeah. in English, can you, can you give me... Your your opinion of Tommy Taylor, yeah. and he replied, solo tengo una palabra, magnifico. Yeah. I only have one word, yeah. magnificent. Yeah. So, well, actually, the, the Madrid players uh, referred. You know, they were they were quite in awe of his his physical stature. Yeah. They they would call him the wardrobe. Really. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Di Stefano referred to him as the wardrobe, and 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 taming him was considered a great achievement. And, and if I'm not mistaken, um, I have a feeling that the current Chelsea defender Marcus Alonso's granddad. 
did um, a marking job on Taylor. I might be wrong about that, but certainly there was there was a player who was, and I'm pretty sure it was him, was particular. You know, it was one of his finest yeah. hours that yeah. that he tamed the wardrobe. Yeah. Um, there and there's a, there was a lovely story from Harry Gregg who didn't play in the European tie but played in a friendly against Di Stefano about the, the sheer power of a collision with Di Stefano. Di Stefano was his main asset certainly at the beginning of his career was his speed but he was he was really hefty as well and uh, Harry Gregg tells a story about the first collision you know going up for a ball and, and Boy, he was still shuddering weeks later. To this day, those games are the first and second biggest crowds ever to see Manchester United in the history. The one in 57 was 135,000. Again, as a journalist, I'm a little bit doubtful of mm. who's measured that. that. That figure's gone out somewhere. Yeah. And it's not accurate enough for me. I don't really trust Spanish attendance figures, but the Bernabeu was clearly huge. Yes, it was. It was huge. Um, but, but you're right to be a bit suspicious because... Because Bernabeu himself was was uh, very keen. Well, he was a, he was a brilliant promoter, um, and and very keen to have the biggest stadium in Spain for obvious reasons when he looked towards Catalonia. But, um, it must but, have been it must have been delighted when Barca expanded Camp Nou for the H two World Cup, and it was miles bigger than than, than, than the Bernabeu. Yeah. And and then the second highest attendance was the game in sixty eight. That's that's down as one hundred and twenty five thousand. Okay. Yes. And yeah. United had, had risen and yeah. knocked Real Madrid out of the semi finals. Yeah. Yes. I wrote Paddy Crone's autobiography with him, and the best part of it is half time in the Bernabeu. And Matt Busby just saying, we're Man United, mm. we're Manchester United, go out there and attack them. It's just like hair standing yeah. up. It's just to go and beat that Real Madrid team. And yeah. I know by 68, they were no longer the dominant. Yes, dominant and, force, and, and Di Stefano had, had yeah. left and actually and had retired uh, by then. In fact, he worked his... He retired in 1966 at the end yeah. of the season uh, uh, when he was playing for Espanyol and he, he'd lost... It, it was 38, yeah. nearly 40... Um, and it was time for him to retire, and he'd left Real Madrid under very unhappy circumstances. Um, but his first gig, actually, after um, retiring, was to go and be a journalist at the '66 World Cup. Was he any good? Uh, well, uh, perhaps the p- first question to ask: Did he think the World Cup was any good? And the answer is a huge, resounding no. <laughs> he was really dismissive about it being negative. Um, yeah, a, a crabby football. No, not particular admirer of England's performance. I, 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 I suspect, although actually he didn't, he he didn't, he didn't write about. He was acting for the Spanish media, and that Spain did badly. Um, I, he would probably have had a view on the England Argentina game. Yeah, it was um, quite a, ne- a negative <laughs> yes. view as well. Yeah. How much assistance did you get when you were writing this from people uh, who were close to the? Oh, a, 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 a huge amount. Uh, I mean, he he was, as I said, he was a pretty strident figure, and I think to to be fair, he was a frightening figure sometimes, even for his teammates, because he was so fierce, frightening in perhaps a Roy Keane sort of a way. Um, just tremendously competitive, tremendously demanding of himself and of his teammates, and certainly younger players around him found him found him really quite terrifying sometimes. Um, but uh, they're, they're hugely admiring him, of him, and I and there's a certain you all know this, Andy, as well. Um, 
there's a certain thing when when people get to a certain age um and he died in 2014 so his his colleagues are quite old now they they're ready to be fairly honest really um and and appreciative you know they've got a lot of perspective now um so they his his colleagues have um, were really, really helpful, um, as was his sister um, in Buenos Aires. So um, you went to Argentina and you... Yes, yeah, Argentina. yeah. Um, and uh, Arge- in Argentina, it, I don't need to tell anybody, but they love football. But there's also a great tradition of football writing in, in Argentina. Tremendous magazines and... Wasn't it so sad so. that El Gráfico, probably exactly. the most venerated magazine... Yes, it, it just closed last just closed. week. Yeah. I, I was in um, Argentina before Christmas and I walked around the newsstands trying to get a copy of it and I couldn't, and I thought it was really sad. It, it, it's ever so sad. It's, uh, I, I'm trying to think of a, a comparison that you could do in... I mean, it's more than shoot. Yeah, yeah and more than Don yeah. Ballon. Yes, you know? yes, yes, exactly. It, it, it really is. proper good stuff in there. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the, the great joys of researching this book was to, to go to the National Archive in Buenos Aires and go through all these old copies of our graphic. There's, there's, it's definitely used to say that for an Argentinian player, being on the cover of El Gráfico was as big as getting your first cap really? for Argentina. It was a real honour. And, and, you know, the, the beautiful, these beautiful uh, sort of portraits that they used to do. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah, that, that, that is really sad. And you'd met him as a journalist when he yes, was still Yes, yeah, yeah, when I was, because I, yeah, I, as yeah. you know, we worked together in yeah. Spain for many years. Yeah. Um, and he was honorary president of Real Madrid. And he, he, was, yeah. he was very accessible, because he used to spend basically all his, his days. He was, um, uh, his, his wife sadly died in the 1990s. So that was his companionship, was the, the community of veterans around Real Madrid. And Real Madrid are a club who, you know, have some flaws and some people describe them as like a virus but uh one thing they do very well is is look after their veterans from a certain era actually they've got their their own space at the stadium and and and, and, and yeah and the club makes sure that they're okay I'll tell you what else they do well they've opened four shops up in the middle of barcelona i've got to admire the balls for doing that and then i was in barcelona the, the other day and they're promoting a real madrid concert with like all of the Real Madrid supporting musicians you would expect. I'm thinking... To take place in Barcelona. I don't know where it was. It was for the Real Madrid Foundation, but it was being heavily advertised in Barcelona. And I just thought, the cheek of it, but but the brilliance of it uh, uh, as well. So you can get your book in how many languages? You get it in English now, get it in Spanish. Yes, I think think that's it at the moment. Um, Disappointingly, a a previous book I did, and I'm not trying to plug this... um, uh, had a Japanese edition, which I was surprised about because it was a book about African football. But yeah, it was the book on African football. You sh- you're too modest. It was a brilliant book. So, I'd recommend um, Ian's books not just because I know him. I think you just need to Google them and see the reviews that they get to see that they're really really interesting. I know how hard he works um, when he's doing them and the amount of research that he does uh, to get a quality book. So, thank you for your time. I'll ask you for one minute. Your thoughts on Manchester United this season? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to let them be coloured by last night at uh, Wembley. We're talking on the 1st of February. Um, uh, well, uh, uh, clearly, clearly, 
much better than for the last four years. Um, and um, I, I was, I think I was slightly surprised, like a lot of people, about the new Jose uh, Mourinho contract. But um, I guess we have to take it at face value and look at uh, long-term commitment, which was a very wise thing to do because there's a lot of very good young players in that squad, many of whom will get better and better. So um, I, I, I would anticipate a better challenge for the title next year. I, I think I think there's a decent chance of last four at least in the Champions League and then you never know. I, I, I would say that United on a good day could expect to beat all but two or three of the clubs left in the Champions League. Um, unfortunately, obviously, one of those is Manchester City, which I think I think everybody knows that they've got a lot better. About time we beat Manchester City, and if we do, we'll celebrate with a nice glass of wine. <laughs> I just have to buy the bottle again first and not have it robbed. And if you've robbed my bottle of wine outside Wembley, well, I'm not going to say what I really think of you. I'm at Euston Station, I'm heading back to Manchester I'm with Rob Moore, who's been on this podcast uh, in the past talking about players, uh, Rob's an intermediary, former club owner um, got very high level contacts within football uh, probably watched the transfer window day with an eye on the television and seen what, what was going on and you were at the game last night Rob um, at Wembley Stadium, what did you make of Manchester United? Um... A lot of people were disappointed with United. I, I thought Tottenham was excellent. I think Pochettino did his homework well. Um, the players looked hungrier. They were quicker to the, the breakdown of the, the ball. They uh, were on their opposite man very quickly. Uh, quite frankly, I think 2-0 flattered United, to be honest. It, it should have been quite comfortably on the, on the, on the, on the balance of, of opportunities. It could have been a 4-5-0 game. Alexis Sanchez, he didn't have a good game. It wasn't his night, but he worked hard. I, I, I admired him. I, I, I thought I saw other players in that same team throwing their hands up, being frustrated. Uh, um, but I saw in Alexis Sanchez a guy clearly who was also frustrated, but he put his head down, he kept burrowing away, he kept working, um, he kept making the runs, kept trying to make it happen. And I think, um, yeah, uh, he's going to be an exciting player for United going forward. Paul Pogba was one of the many United players who, who disappointed. He's had a good season, but he had a shocker last night. I, I, I think Pogba's... You, you've got to respect a guy who's been in a club that's gone to the Champions League final and, and, and he's won, champion, uh, and he's won uh, Italian Serie A medals. Um, but for me, Andy, if you pay that kind of money to buy a player... You pay, and, and we're talking about not in today's transfer, we're talking about a couple of years ago. That kind of money was massive money. And you pay that money in those days for game changers. People who can on their own change a game. And I don't believe Paul Pogba is a game changer. I think he's a nice player to have. I, d I really can't, I don't know where his best position is. I don't think he's a number six. He's not a ball winning number six. He's not a number 10. I think he could only really play as an eight on the left side in a diamond four midfield, which, you know, but that's just my personal opinion. And, and I, I just, I, I, I think I, I remember specifically at the time, and I haven't changed my opinion, 
that it was an awful lot of money to pay for a guy who isn't a big prolific scorer of goals, not a prolific assist maker, and and quite frankly, I don't think he's a game changer. Lukaku cost a lot of money, scored a lot of goals, didn't have a great game last night. What do you make of him? Was he a good signing for United? Well, obviously, Jose must have seen something in him the second time round that he never saw in the first time round at Chelsea. Um, I, I, it's as you say, you know, you, you look at the stats. The stats are on paper pretty good. You look at last night; he was disappointing. But then again, how many players from United came out of last night? With any reputation enhanced, it was it was one of those games. When did you first meet Jose? Jose, when he was uh, the coach at um, at Porto, when Benny McCarthy was there. Yeah, yeah. And you you having dealings with a lot of the top clubs in Europe. How do you think Manchester United are placed going forward in comparison, maybe with Manchester City or Liverpool or Chelsea? I think um, if you look at the big clubs at the moment, I think City have a very clear game plan, very clear vision of where they want to go, and it's a case of now. I don't think you'll see transfer windows where City will buy five, six players in the next three or four transfer windows. I don't see. I see them now as they're just picking out pieces of the puzzle, and they'll make two, maximum three signings a window. I think. Um, I think Chelsea are very interesting at the moment because I, 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 it's difficult to understand Chelsea going after Drinkwater, going after Barkley, being linked to uh, Carroll, um, Crouch. You know, I, I don't even know if this is newspaper talk at all or whether this is reality. But it's just not the type of package you would expect a uh, 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 Roman Abramovich uh, Chelsea team to be or type of player that you'd expect them to be pursuing the only thing I can think of is that maybe they're looking to get numbers up on on Premier League homegrown players um, which is again a a, a stupid rule put in place to um, to in the name of of trying to ensure that 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 English players uh, um, get um, they get game time but what is the reality? They become English players become squad players, you know, because they go after the money at a club like Chelsea. Is Drinkwater going to become a, a, a regular first name on the team sheet? No, I don't think so. Uh, is Barkley? No, I don't think so. Um, so therefore, um, it, it's, it's, there's some there's some interesting things happening at Chelsea that that I think um, the script is far from finished. I think there's going to be over the next six months again some more upheavals and more changes I think Liverpool I think Liverpool are trying to get to the the, the city stage of just plugging in pieces into the, the puzzle um, I think Liverpool uh, have to become a regular Champions League side to really then get into the position where they can get the players that they always want I think they've got good ideas about what players they want not always easy if the player is not 100% convinced is Liverpool a perennial Champions League participant. You've had dealings with Klopp for years, haven't you? I'm just thinking. Great guy. Yeah? Great guy, great coach. Um, says it like it is, wears his heart on his sleeve. I love it. Yeah. Really, really, really great guy. And um, Jose, 
think he's the right man for Manchester United moving forward? Um, Jose, again, uh, known him for a number of years. Um, he's quite personable, isn't he? I don't think he's... His public persona is always an accurate one. There are clearly many sides to him. Yeah, yeah. He is, in my experience of with him, is his. There's one personality on the TV, yeah. and there's one in real life that's different. Uh, in real life, he's up for a laugh. He, he, uh, he you know, if if he likes you, he likes your player, um, or he likes a player. Um, he is really. He's very personable in that way and really good. And I think he's pretty loyal to to the players that he, he players that have done the business for him. I think he's pretty loyal to players. Players like him, don't they? He, yeah. Most. I, yeah, I, I think a lot of players do like him. And um, the only thing is, I, I just think that he's... Um, it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, it's difficult to say, Andy, that um, at the end of it all, because you've got to look at, you know, begin with the end in mind, as Stephen Covey would say in The Seven Habits. What is the end after the Jose Mourinho uh, reign comes to an end? Is it going to be a team that he walks away that is successful? but that is aging and is in need of complete repair? Or is he going to leave the next guy a, a team in place that is built on a solid foundation where for years to come, that team uh, will, will have the foundation of success? If you look at what Pochettino is doing at, at, at Tottenham, you could say if he walked away at the end of the season, he's left the team with a solid foundation for the next guy. Um, I, I, I'm not. I think that's going to be an interesting um, a space to watch going forward. You're probably going to have a busy year. I've got to get the train back to Manchester now. Can you look me in the eye and promise me that you will not strengthen any of Manchester United's rivals in this calendar year? I can look you in the eye and have a smile and say, "Nice seeing you again, Andy." <laughs> so that's it for this podcast. I'm going to get on the the train to Manchester. Do the next podcast from Old Trafford, Huddersfield, at home on Saturday and we'll be joining you then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet. We offer the best available odds on a United win as well as a host of special bets created by Reds. With half our net profits being donated to United supporters groups, Red Army Bet is about fans, by fans, for fans. Check out our website, redarmybet.com or download the app. Red Army Bet, we all follow United.